We are in Daniel chapter 9 this morning. Please turn to Daniel 9. We're in verse 20 as we're going through the book of Daniel. And then also, if you would turn to Psalms 100. Psalms uh, 100. We're going to begin our time in God's word this morning. In Psalms 100. Let's go ahead and stand together. We're going to read Psalms 100 together uh, to prepare our hearts for Thanksgiving and being thankful. Just found myself being really uh, thankful this week and just brought a lot of joy to my spirit and my heart. So what we're going to do is have some responsive reading. I'm going to read the odd number verses. You guys are going to read the even number verses if you have the New King James Version, okay? If we, if we all read in different versions, it, it's going to be tough, so... I'm odd, you're even. Feel free to just speak it out with some authority. Here we go. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you. We, we shout for joy. Lord, we come before your presence with singing. We thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. Thank you that you're good and that your mercy endures. Thank you that your truth never changes. It's applicable for every generation. And as a church family, we come and say thank you. And we ask that you would really bless and Speak to us this morning in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Last week, we looked at Daniel crying out to the Lord in prayer because he knew that they were coming close to 70 years in captivity. Jeremiah had prophesied that they would only have 70 years in captivity in Babylon. Then God would allow for them to return to the land and rebuild the temple. Knowing the word, he's praying passionately before the Lord. Now as we get into the second half of chapter 9, we see God's response. We see God's answer to Daniel. And just like God often does in prayer, he gives to Daniel much more than he was asking for. Daniel's asking that that God would deliver, restore, and the Lord responds with giving him a vision of these 70 weeks. And it's God's plan for the nation of Israel for all time leading out into the future. And so this section of scripture, this prophecy is referred to as Daniel's 70 weeks. A lot of times when it comes to prophecy, it makes us a little bit uneasy, doesn't it? It makes me uneasy. Why? Because there's so many quacks when it comes to Bible prophecy, isn't there? Just Bible nut jobs, you know, and they they feel like just because it's prophecy and it has to do with the future, that they can say whatever they want and they come up with all these weird ideas that don't point us to Christ and a lot of times point us to fear and conspiracy theories and people buy buy into them. So it's easy to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, I don't want to study prophecy because it makes me nervous. But remember, in the book of Revelation, Revelation 19, verse 10, it says, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So 
prophecy many times points to Christ. A lot of the prophecies are specifically pointing to Jesus' first coming and his second coming. So why would we study prophecy? Because it powerfully points to Jesus. I mean, you can probably think of some prophecies that speak of the first coming of Christ, of him being born in in Bethlehem, of him being crucified upon the cross. But also prophecy points to us that God's word's inspired. It's God-breathed. That's a big claim that this book that we hold in our hands is breathed by God, that it's different than, than other books. And one of the things that makes Bibles, the Bible stand out is that there's so much prophecy in it that has been fulfilled. There's some that is still yet unfulfilled, but so many of it has been fulfilled. This is according to the Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia of the Bible writes and says there's 1,239 prophecies in the Old Testament, 578 prophecies in the New Testament, with a total of 1,817 prophecies. So just over 1,800 prophecies in the Bible. These prophecies altogether are 8,352 verses. How many verses are there from Genesis to Revelation? You're like, who cares? I don't care. (laughs) I'm going to tell you anyway. There's... 31,124 verses, just over 31,000 verses in the Bible. So with 8,352 of them being prophecy, that gives us 26.8% of the Bible is prophecy. So it's important to the Lord. I don't think any of us this morning would say, well, I'm going to take 25% of my Bible and just take it out and not, not pay attention to it. So I hope this morning you're not confused. I hope that through this prophecy, you're encouraged how it points to Jesus Christ. You're also encouraged how God's word's inspired and God's infinite wisdom. So let's look at this prophecy that's given to Daniel. Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. Daniel's prayer is very personal. My my God, giving supplication and confessing sin. In the vision, he saw Gabriel, but now Gabriel, the angel, comes and visits Daniel. And the first thing to really consider and take note is that God hears and answers prayer. God heard the prayer of Daniel as Daniel is crying out before the Lord, and he clearly responds by sending Gabriel to help him understand the vision in greater way. And I know this is simple, but do you believe that God hears your prayers? Do you believe that he responds to your prayers? At different times in our relationship with the Lord, we may struggle with this. We may feel like our prayers just bounce off the wall or hit hit the ceiling. God's the creator of the universe. He's our heavenly father. Because of Christ, the throne of God has been opened up to us. We get to have that conversation with the Lord. In hearing of Daniel's prayer last week as it moved us to greater prayer and deeper, deeper prayer. He really does hear our prayers and he responds to our prayers. Jesus told us that if we pray in his name, we know that we have confidence that he hears us 
and will answer those prayers. Now, don't misunderstand that because a lot of times we're not praying in the name of Jesus, even if we attach his name to it. To pray in the name of Jesus is to pray according to his character, according to his nature, according to who we, we know him to be. But if we are praying things that line up with Jesus, saying, God, would you, would you allow me to be more loving in your name for your glory? Do you think God's going to answer that? Absolutely. Lord, I would desire to have more joy that would, would glorify you. Lord, I've been struggling with this, this area of sin. Would you help me to be able to, to live victoriously? He hears those prayers and, and he responds. So God sends Gabriel to respond to Daniel's prayer. Verse 23, at the beginning of your supplication, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Before Gabriel gets into the vision and the meaning, he says, I want you to know that you are greatly beloved. That's always nice to hear, isn't it? You are loved greatly by, by God. Daniel must needed this affirmation at this point. He's walked with God for a long time. He's in his older years, and he still needs to hear, oh, you are loved by God. Church, we never grow out of this. We never grow out of the need to continue to hear that we're loved by God. If Gabriel came and visited you tonight as you were trying to sleep, you'd probably wet your pants, you know, <laughs> me as well. And Gabriel told you, you are greatly loved by God. Not just a little bit loved by God, but, but immensely loved by God. You're, you're tremendously loved by God. Do you think you'd hold on to it? I think we would. But I suggest to you that we've already had a greater messenger. Someone more significant than Gabriel. Jesus Christ, God's only son. For the father to communicate love to us, how did he do it ultimately? He sent his son in human flesh to die upon the cross where God says for, that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God demonstrated his love towards us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. God's saying, here's the billboard of my love. Here, here's the message of my love. I'm, I'm communicating my love. I'm demonstrating my love. Here's the YouTube video of my love. I've sent my son to die for you while you were still sinners, while you're in that spiritual condition of being hard-hearted towards God. Do you need to be reminded this morning that you're loved by God? Maybe you'll understand these 70 weeks and it'll encourage you this morning. I hope so. Maybe this prophecy will send you into snooze zone and it'll prepare you for your Sunday afternoon nap. I don't know. But I do know that we can be refreshed in knowing, man, I'm loved by God. As we go into this Thanksgiving week to remember, man, I'm, I'm loved by the Lord. He sent his son for me. Now we get into the prophecy in verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and your holy city. It's really important with this prophecy to realize it's specific towards Jerusalem and the people of Israel, God's, God's chosen people. Seventy weeks are, are determined for your people and for your holy city. The word weeks in the Hebrew is a word hepta, H-E-P-T-A-D, and it means group of seven, just like decade means group of, of ten. So it's saying 70 groups of seven is what determines the nation of Israel and the holy people. And most likely it's referring to one 
uh, seven-year period. Se- seven-year period. So we've got 70 times seven years, which is 490 years. Just go ahead and say 490 years. That's going to be important as we go through it. 490 years. There's a principle called the principle of first mention as we're interpreting scripture. The first time this word hepta is used in the Bible is in the book of Genesis. It's Genesis 29 verse 20. It says, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. And that seven years in the Hebrew is hepta. And so we try to unpack this and understand this, and most likely this prophecy is referring to a 490-year period. And this is what's accomplished in the 490 years. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy. All of those things specifically point to who? To Jesus in his first coming and his his second coming to finish transgression and to make an end of sin we see Christ upon the cross dealing with sin the power of sin and the penalty of sin we also see Christ in his second coming causing Satan to ultimately be defeated and to be thrown into a pit for a thousand years where Christ rules and reigns ultimately leading then to God creating a new heaven and a new earth, the end of transgression, the end of sins. Can you imagine being in Christ's presence and having there be the end of sin? I'm looking forward to that, you know? We all get tired of struggling with our our flesh and sin and to to wake up in in his likeness. Jesus makes reconciliation for iniquity. The, The word reconciliation is atonement. Atonement is to cover it also is very similar to the word propitiation, which means to, to satisfy the wrath of, to, to satisfy God's justice. Jesus satisfied the wrath of the Father when it comes to our sin. This prophecy is all about Christ and what he has, has done for us so that we can be in a place this morning that we know we're reconciled with God. We're, we're right with God. He's paid the debt. We're justified. We're declared righteous by God because of his atonement, because of his work upon the cross and us trusting in what Christ has done. Jesus brings everlasting righteousness, pointing to his second coming where he rules and reigns with everlasting righteousness. As human history continues to move forward, it causes us to long for the reign of Christ, to seal up vision and prophecy. What's this all about? And when Christ comes in his second coming, there's no more need for visions and prophecy. You know, that, that, that's, that's sealed up. There'll be a time where all of that is completed and then to anoint the, the most holy, pointing to, to Christ as the Messiah. In verse 25, it says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome times. So now we get into the specifics of this vision, and it says from the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah is seven weeks and 62 weeks. So together that's how many weeks? 69 weeks. 
You guys, how are you doing on your math this morning? 62 plus 7, 69. Like, it's way too early. I had a guy come up to me last night after the Saturday night service. He's like, Eric, you kind of lost me on the math. <laughs> so I'm going to try not to lose you this morning. We, we do have free coffee in the foyer. Feel free to <laughs> take advantage of it. But it's 69 weeks. So when was the command given to restore and rebuild both the temple and Jerusalem? And there were some commands that were just specifically for the temple. But both of them included was March 5th, 444 BC. And we know that from history. March 5th, 444 BC. It's Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah is going before Artaxerxes. He's the cupbearer. And he asks for the city of Jerusalem, the walls, to be rebuilt. And he gets permission, and that command is given. So if you think of a stopwatch, an old-school stopwatch, or maybe think of your smartphone, and you've got a stopwatch on your, on, your, on your phone, is this starts now these 70 weeks. And these 70 weeks begin with this command, this 490 years. Now, why is there the division? Why do we have seven weeks and 62 weeks? The, the seven weeks speak of the rebuilding of, of the temple, 49 years. It took roughly 49 years to uh, rebuild uh, the temple. And so that's why it has its specific distinction there. But the clock doesn't stop when the temple is completed. It just continues going until we get to 69 weeks, and it tells us the coming of the Messiah. So 69 times 7, I'll do it for you, 483 years, leads us to 33 AD, which is the life of Christ. And the prophecy here that's given to Daniel is saying from the command to build Jerusalem and the temple until the Messiah, the Messiah means anointed one, Jesus is the anointed one to die for our sins, is going to be 69 weeks or 483 years. Now there's some discussion if the 483 years, if it leads us to the birth of Christ, if it leads us to the baptism of Christ, the Mount of Transfiguration, the triumphal entry, the crucifixion, and there's some research on all of those. But either way, it leads us to the life of Christ. It leads us to that time frame when Christ was here on the earth. There's a book that was written called The Coming Prince by Anderson, and he does some math and says it's right at the triumphal entry that, that leads to the very day that Christ came in on the, the triumphal entry. It's possible, but the main thing is, is it leads us to the life of Christ. In Luke 19, verse 41 and 42, Jesus said, Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for you peace, but now they are hidden from you. So Jesus does say to the nation of Israel in Jerusalem, If you'd only known your day. In Luke 19, if you'd only known that this was, was prophesied, that I was going to come. And there's so much prophecy in the Old Testament that the nation of Israel should have realized that Jesus was the Messiah. I know this is technical, but this, doesn't this kind of geek you out a little bit? You know, doesn't this get you excited about Jesus? That God's plan of redemption was foretold? I mean, here's Daniel, and he is desperately desiring that God will work restoration because of their sin. 
He's grieving over the sin of the people of Israel, crying out to God saying, God, would you restore? Would you bring us back to the temple? God's response is, yes, I'm going to rebuild the temple, but I'm going to do a lot more than that. I'm going to send my son, and he's going to be the Messiah, and he's going to be the answer to your sin problem. And we're so thankful for Jesus because we have the same sin problem as the children of Israel, don't we? We go through the same cycle of idolatry, and and what really changes us and transforms us, it's Christ. It's the only way we can have forgiveness. It's the only way that we can have victory over sin. It's almost like us, you know, praying for uh, someone in our family, one of our kids, and we're, we're, we're maybe specifically looking at a, a situation, a job, or a friendship, or a school, uh, you know, that trying to decide what school that they need to go to, and we're laboring that over with the Lord, and God says, you know what, I've got that taken care of, but I'm also going to reveal Jesus to your kid. You know, I'm also going to re- reveal Jesus to, to your parents. You know, Jesus ultimately is... is my game and my aim. And the, and the father says, yeah, I'm going to take that and I'm going to point your, the one that you love to Jesus. That's what Daniel's experiencing here as he hears this, this, this prophecy. It says, the streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. Ezra and Nehemiah, they were able to rebuild the temple and the wall even in very difficult times. So we go to verse 26, and after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. So it's saying at the end of these 62 weeks, remember there were seven weeks prior, the Messiah is going to be cut off. This prophecy speaks of the crucifixion of Christ, of him being brutally cut off upon the cross. He who knew no sin becomes sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God. The vision goes on, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it will be with a flood, until the end of the war, desolation are determined. So now, some bad news. The city of Jerusalem is going to be destroyed after it's rebuilt. And the temple is going to be destroyed. We see in 70 AD, Jerusalem destroyed and the the temple destroyed. There's no temple right now in in Jerusalem. This ultimately also points to the 70th week, which is the time of the, the tribulation, where there will be another temple, and the Antichrist will come in and desecrate the temple. So it appears in verse 26 that this is when the prophetic clock, the 490 years, goes on pause. Jesus dies upon the cross, he's cut off, he rises again, and we see this pause, 483 years fulfilled, but yet there's seven more years, and I believe that 70th week is the time of the tribulation. We see the tribulation described in verse 27. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So who is the he that we're speaking of? In verse 26, it says, And the people of the prince, so the Antichrist probably is who this is referring to, and he's going to come in first with a covenant for one week. He's going to come with an agreement of peace. He's probably going to solve problems. Say, look, here's the solution to end all of the war and conflict that we're having. Don't we see even more and more us hungering for peace and stability? 
The, the world will almost do anything just for the promise of stability and, and peace. And the Antichrist first comes in that mode of, of deception, but then he's going to bring an end to sacrifice and offering. He's going to desecrate the temple. We've talked about it quite a bit in the study of Daniel, the abomination of desolation. And on the wing of the abomination shall be one who makes desolation. So after the temple is destroyed and the abomination takes place, the pagan sacrifices in the temple, then it's going to bring in this time of desolation, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. So the last half of the tribulation, but in the middle of the week. So remember, a week is seven. After three and a half years, the Antichrist comes in, desecrates the temple, and brings in this time of, of desolation. But does the Antichrist win? What happens at the end of that in the book of Revelation is we see the second coming of, of Christ. Christ ruling and reigning. For Daniel, much of this prophecy is far-reaching. but It goes way into the future with the coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And Daniel's left with how do I respond to this prophecy? And I think it's one of faithfulness, patience, and endurance. Saying, okay, here, here God has revealed all this to me, but I still have a, a job to do. How do I then respond? And I think that would be God's response for us. God puts these things in a very broad, big picture sense, and we see a lot of it fulfilled. We see Christ already crucified, risen again. Think how much more we understand of this than Daniel did as he was hearing these for the first time. But yet there's a part of this that's still future, with the Antichrist and the second coming of Jesus, and for us to be respond and say, I'm going to patiently endure. I'm going to desire to overcome. I'm going to desire to walk faithfully with Jesus so that when my life ends, I'm going full stride with Christ. Or if Christ returns, he's going to find me fully in love with Jesus Christ. And this is the exhortation that we find Jesus giving to seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. If you turn over with me to Revelation 2 and 3, I want to look at quickly these verses where Jesus encourages each church to, to overcome. These are special letters. Jesus writes a specific letter to a specific church. Seven churches in Asia Minor, modern-day day Turkey, and each church gets their specific revelation of Jesus Christ, an attribute of Christ assigned to each church. And with each church, he encourages them to overcome. Now, if you think Jesus says the same thing to seven different churches, is it possible that Jesus would have the same message to our church this morning? That this is a something that's important to Jesus for every believer. So this is Revelation 2, verse 7, when Jesus writes to the church of Ephesus. He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This means that the Spirit is speaking to the church. The Spirit is speaking to us. As far as communication goes, it's not on the fault of God. God's not the one who is not speaking. He, he's speaking. 
The question is, am I listening? Am I listening to what the Spirit is saying to me today? And here's the exhortation. To him who comes, overcomes, I'm going to give you to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Saying, keep going, keep trusting, keep walking, and as you overcome, here's eternal life. And that's an encouragement for us today, isn't it? Maybe you're saying, my life is really difficult. In fact, it's the worst that it's ever been. I'm discouraged. I'm having a difficult time. And God says, are you a believer? Are you the child of God? Do you trust Christ with salvation? This is the worst it's ever going to get. Keep going. Keep trusting. Keep walking. Keep pressing in. Eternity is in front of you. Chapter 2, verse 11 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, this emphasis on hearing and listening. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. What in the world's the second death? What's that all about? The first death is our physical death. The second death is being eternally separated from God for all of eternity. Continue. Keep pressing in. Keep trusting Christ. Keep walking with him. And again, it's this promise, this exhortation of eternity in heaven awaits for you. Revelation 2, verse 17, it says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name, written which no one knows except him who receives it. This is far out. God's saying, keep going. Keep walking with me. Keep trusting me, because I'm going to give you some hidden manna. Manna from the Old Testament was the children of Israel going through the wilderness and God giving them provision every morning except on the Sabbath. Jesus said, I am the bread of heaven. I'm I'm the manna. I'm that provision that you need. Do you feel like giving up this morning? Maybe you're like, you know, I'm just ready to punt. I'm discouraged. And God says, keep going. Why? Because right around the corner could be some hidden provision. I like the fact that it said it's hidden because We don't anticipate it. It comes from a source that only belongs to God. God gives that encouragement. It's that hidden manna. That's the exhortation of this church. Keep going. There's some hidden provision. But then also, to those that overcome, I'm going to give you a white stone. And on this white stone is going to be a name written that only you and God know. This speaks of a very personal relationship with God. You know, husbands and wives oftentimes have names for one another. And we enjoy that and we appreciate it unless our wives use it in front of all the guys, right? You know, hey, babe, not right now, you know. With my four kids, I've got a, a nickname for each one of the kids, right? They've got their, their given name and then they've got their, their nickname. And it's because it's this close, close relationship. And here God's saying, I'm so close with you. I'm so personal with you. I've got a name that just I'm gonna call you. That's pretty neat. That's something to look, look forward to. God likes changing people's names throughout Scripture because it speaks of the change of their identity. If you study Scripture, God's oftentimes saying, hey, here's a new name for you. You're no longer going to be Jacob. You're going to be Israel. You're not going to be Simon. You're, you're going to be Peter. And so God's giving a, a new name to those who overcome. In Revelation 2.26, go down to Revelation 2.26, it says, and he who overcomes... And keeps my works until the end. To him I will give power over the nations. This is the 
corrupt church, compromising church, and God gives them hope through repentance, saying, if you will repent and walk with me, then I will allow you to have power over the nations. Maybe you feel like as a believer, your life's too far gone. You've compromised too greatly. Specifically, the church of Thyatira is in sexual sin. And you're saying, man, sexual sin has overcome me and there's, there's no hope for me. God says there's hope for you through the cross, through his death and resurrection. Get up, walk with him, overcome. And to those that overcome, he'll give power over the nations. It'd be one thing for God to give this promise to the faithful church. That would make sense to us. We go, oh yeah, they're the faithful church. They're gonna be used to impact the nations. But there's great redemption here. This church is not where they're supposed to be. But if they'll start to walk with God and keep the word of God, God in his plan of redemption will use them to impact the nations. You're never too far gone. It's never too late to return to the Lord in repentance and to, to walk with him. Overcoming's not a perfect life. Overcoming's a, a life that when we sin and we fail and we rebel, we turn from sin, get back up and, and walk with, with the Lord. In Revelation 3, verse 5, And he who overcomes shall be clothed with a white garment, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess him before my Father and before his angels. A great promise. Here, if you overcome, there's a white garment for you for all of eternity. Your name is not going to be taken out of the book of life. Jesus confessing us before the Father and before his angels. Revelation 3, verse 12, the, the last encouragement to overcome. Revelation 3, verse 12, And he who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God and the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Almost sounds like Jesus is a tattoo artist. What's happening here? You know? But this is a cool, cool promise from the Lord. First, that a pillar in the temple of God. This speaks of permanence. You're not going to go out from, from God's presence anymore. And then also God then writing his name upon you. Writing the name of Jerusalem upon you. Yes, giving you a new name, but stamping his identity upon you with his name being put upon us. You belong to me. You're my son. You're, you're my daughter. So I hope as we look at prophecy that our response to prophecy is this of saying, man, Jesus, you're amazing. This points to you, Jesus. And I want to persevere. I want to overcome. I want to press in to my relationship with you. These 70 weeks, how do we apply them? First, God hears and answers prayer. I know you've got prayers on your heart. I know there's things concerning you, brokenness that Daniel feels, brokenness for our community and for our country. And are we praying? Are we taking advantage of the invitation to come and God hears your prayers? And maybe you've been praying for 10 years, 20 years, and you're saying, I don't know if God's listening. He's listening. Keep praying. He, he, he's responding. Pray in his name according to his character and nature. He invites us in. And when we were singing that new song this morning of, of God's with us, didn't you feel the love of God? Man, God is with us. 
He is for us. He's, he's proven that, and he's inviting us into relationship with him. God's plan of redemption is foretold very specifically in this prophecy. Rejoice in that. And then let us patiently endure to the end. Patiently endure to the end. And as we take communion this morning, I think it's a great time for us to take time to be still and know that he's God and give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to speak to you. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's tables in the front, tables in the back. Worship team's going to come lead us in a couple of more songs. You know, and let's not rush through this. There's a tendency to want to rush through communion You know, just take it as quickly as possible. Grab your kids, get out of the parking lot first, and you're like, yes, I got pole position, right? (laughs) Just, man, take some time here. Have the elements in your hand and sit quietly in, in your seat and remember Christ. Remember his sacrifice. That the bread represents his broken body. That the cup represents his His shed blood so that we could be made whole and that we could be made forgiven. And then ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what what do you need to communicate to me today? And maybe there'll be a, a verse that's on your mind. Maybe even God doesn't give you the reference, but there, there's this specific truth that he's reminding you of. Maybe all of a sudden you will have some people on your heart and mind and, and God's saying, look, I want you to call them. I want you to reach out to them, you know? And that's what he begins to communicate to you. Maybe he's going to reveal some bitterness as you're headed into to Thanksgiving. There's a particular family member that you really don't want to see. And the Holy Spirit's going to start to deal with that, that bitterness. There's sin that the Lord wants us to confess. Jesus gets very personal with these churches. And for some of you this morning, you may be playing a game. This may not mean a lot to you. You may be like, oh, I'm coming to church because someone wants me to be here or this is what we always do or we believe in the kids coming to church, but you're not really there. And a lot of these churches that Jesus is writing to, they're not there. They're not walking with Christ. They're not surrendered to Christ, but Christ is pursuing them. Many of these churches, I think, a lot of people would give up on. They would say, you know, just close the doors. They're so unhealthy. There's so much sin going on. There's so much false teaching. Just just close the doors, but not Jesus. He's saying, look, I love you and I am pursuing you and I am confronting you. And I think that Christ may wanna confront us through the Holy Spirit and he might be saying, look, it's time to stop playing the game. You believe in Christ, you trust him for salvation and now Christ wants us to go further. He wants to get in our personal space because he loves us. And as he reveals sin to to be able to respond and and agree with God and turn from sin and receive his grace and, and forgiveness, but I know Christ wants to meet us. If you've never received Christ as your savior, as we come to take communion, there's gonna be ministry team and pastors here on the sides where it's a little bit quieter and I want you to hear the good news. Jesus died for your sins and he rose again. We're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. One of my favorite fiction books, it's called Les Mis. You've probably heard of it, but you have this criminal who escapes from prison and finds himself 
in a priest's home and seeking refuge. And he says this line, he says, I'm dangerous speaking to the priest. And the priest responds and he says, we're all dangerous here. And that's that understanding that we're all sinners. We all have the need for Christ to die for our sins and rise again. But have you acknowledged that? Have you turned from sin and said, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. Be my Lord. And as we trust Christ, his promise is to give us salvation. This is not complicated. It's not a gimmick. Simply come and respond. Let somebody on the ministry team know I'm ready to receive Christ as my Savior. You're not joining a church. You're not signing up for anything. It's between you and Jesus. We'll pray for you. Make sure you have a Bible, give you a new believer's packet and rejoice with you. So let's stand together and let's pray and we'll move into communion. Jesus, we thank you for your love for us. And God, we ask as we come and take communion, Lord, this is sacred space. It's it's a special time with you. We want to remember your sacrifice, your death, and your your resurrection and give you an opportunity through the Spirit to speak to each of us personally. God, where there's encouragement needed, would you provide it? Lord, where there is brokenness that's needed, Lord, would you speak that? We, We want to be in a place where we're open to what you would say to us. So would you bless this time of communion in Jesus' name. Amen.